Hey there, this is Dane Kramer. Welcome to the Thinking Christian Podcast, episode number four. Welcome and thanks for joining me today. If you'd like to know more information about this podcast or me, just go to thethinkingchristian.us. That's thethinkingchristian.us. There you be, you'll be directed to my website. And uh, you'll find some material there. I have some actually some other audio files on my website. If you go to the little search block and type in audio files or something like that, you'll be directed to some, some other, other things that you can feel free to download um, from my website. But um, thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, today's topic, I think, is an interesting one. We're going to take a look at the lost books of the Bible. Sounds kind of conspiracy theory, huh? <laughs> All right. This question was asked very recently by someone um, to me, asked me about these books of the Bible. Incidentally, if you've got a question that you'd like me to address, or there's something that kind of eaten away at you and and you'd like to know my two cents, uh, I'd be happy to give it to you. Uh, feel free to just drop me a line, drop me an email, uh, send me a note, go to my website, and um, if I can, I'll do my best to, to kind of address the question or the issue uh, that you have. But let's take a look at this idea of the lost books of the Bible. It is an interesting one. It's an intriguing thought. And I remember I was intrigued very much by it. Um, when I was about 16 years old, something like that, I had a job uh, at the church, by the local church. I would go over Sunday mornings to the church, and I would unlock the door, um, turn the heat on, sweep the steps from snow if I had, had to. Um, and then I'd go make my way down to the basement and turn on the record player. We had speakers in the uh, sanctuary and in the uh, basement and the big steeple speakers. And so I'd start to play some music and let, let the whole community know that the party was about to get started. But um, so I'd, I'd get the music started and I would go into the library and, and kind of thumb my way through the books there. And I remember one time I found this book called I think it was called The Lost Books of the Bible or Books That Didn't Make It Into the Bible, something like that. And I remember pulling that out, and I was intrigued by it. I said, what do you mean there are books not in the Bible? What, what do you mean that there are lost books? I mean, in fact, I recall even feeling a little bit angry. I was a little upset. It's like, what do you mean? Did someone censure my Bible? Did someone take out books that I would like to read? And who did that? You know, finding that book made my world a little bit bigger. You ever, you ever, you ever learn something? Do you ever come across something and suddenly your, your world just gets a little bit bigger? You had never considered something before. You never thought about something before. And suddenly you're kind of forced to think about it. And as a result, a whole new world opens up to you. I'd never thought about the Bible before. It was a book that the church had. It was a book that Christians were reading. It was a book that was handed to me to read. I guess if I had thought anything about the Bible, I just assumed that one day the Bible just kind of floated down from heaven and landed on a cushy little pillow somewhere. I don't know, something like that. But now I was forced to think about it. I was forced to think about the Bible and these books that were in it and the books that were not in it. Now, I can't say that immediately I began some sort of investigation. I mean, I was 15 years old. It, it took a while, but it was something that I had never forgotten. And eventually I did go back and take a look at this. Now, flash forward to the present. Those lost books of the Bible, actually, they're behind me in my office on my shelf now. They're not lost, and they're not books of the Bible. 
I can guarantee you that. Uh, I, I've now looked at that. As a matter of fact, I've read most of these quote-unquote lost books, the books that didn't make it. I've, I've read, like I said, most of them, not all of them, but I've read them. I'm, I'm acquainted with them, let, let's say that. And uh, I think I can talk comfortably about it. Uh, and that's what I want to uh, do today. So let's go back to the beginning of the beginning of Christianity with, with Jesus Christ himself. Jesus didn't leave any writings for us. He didn't write down his teachings and distribute them to his class. Um, I mean, there's a there's a, a tradition that, well, I, I'll call it a legend that Jesus did write a, a letter to the king of Edessa. You can Google that and look that up. But I don't think any serious scholarship really holds that that letter is genuine or authentic. Um, supposedly, Jesus had this correspondence with this with this king. Uh, I, I, again, I don't I don't hold much to that, but it's it's out there. You can you can find information about that. And and of course, he did in John chapter eight. He did stoop down and write in the dirt. You might remember that story. The uh, the woman caught in adultery was bought, brought to him and he, and he bent down and wrote in the dirt but whatever he wrote and we don't know what it was but whatever he wrote is long since eroded or I mean rained on uh, you know it, it's gone it's gone we don't it's gone we don't know what it was and, and uh, it would be impossible to trace that so we didn't leave any writings for us but what he did do in, in Luke chapter 6 is he gathered his disciples to him and he commissioned them to take his teachings and to teach others. And soon the disciples, they began to, or I'll call them apostles because that's what they were then in Luke chapter 6. He, he made them apostles, it says, which means he made them, he sort of gave them a special commission. Um, they were uh, commissioned to teach for him. And these apostles eventually began to write letters. They began to write stories about Jesus. They began to write down these things. And the early church took those writings and they copied them and copied them again and circulated them and passed them around and read them and memorized them. And and those writings eventually made it into what we call the New Testament. Now, there were some writings that weren't circulated, I guess, weren't copied down, and they weren't preserved. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he alludes to a former letter that he had written to them. Now, we call 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians, or Paul's first letter. Technically, it's his second, or at least, at least his second, because he said he had written a former letter to them. But we don't know what or where that letter is. It wasn't preserved for whatever reason, and so we have no record of it. So I'm sure that the apostles probably wrote down some other things that we don't have. But what we do have is because it was copied and circulated and kept by the early church. Now, the, the, the first antagonists of the early church were the Jews, of course. The Jews um, very much despised Christianity and its teachings, and, and they persecuted the early Christians. But in 70 AD, the Romans leveled Jerusalem, and the Jewish threat dried up completely. You know, the Jews were no longer a threat or, or uh, enemies of the Christian church. They just they sort of didn't exist in mass anymore. But the Romans soon became the next persecutor of the church. And at times that persecution became very, very severe. I'm sure you've heard stories about Christians being fed to the, the lions, burning at the stake. I mean, they did horrendous things to these early Christians. You can read about some of those in Fox's Book of the Martyr, for example. But they, um, 
the Romans kind of took up the baton of, of uh, persecution against the Christians. And one thing that they did is they began to uh, confiscate the early church writings. You know, the, the, the writings of the early church was sort of, sort of considered contraband, and they began to collect it. Now, this forced the early church to really start thinking about its writings. Which of its writings that they were keeping in their own church libraries were worth dying for? Which of these writings were they really going to go to the stake to be burned for? And they had to think about this. What would you do, for example, if someone busts into your house, holds a gun to your head and said, okay, give me all of your reader's digests or I'll pull the trigger? Well, you're probably going to say, take them. You can have my Oprah magazines as well. I mean, yeah, take, you know, take them. I don't care. Because I'm not going to die for something as valueless as the Reader's Digest. I mean, I mean I'm not saying it's valueless. I'm just, you know, don't send me your emails. I, you know, I'm not suggesting it's valueless, but you know what I'm saying. You're not going to die for those types of things. And the early church had to decide, among other things, what are we going to die for? Which of these writings? And, and there were writings that they were considering which didn't make it into the New Testament. For example, there was a, a book that was widely circulated among some churches in the early days called The Shepherd of Hermas. There was another book called The Didache. That's a short name, but it was called The Didache. And these books were well-loved by Christians. They were circulated. They were copied. They were passed around. And again, I have copies of those books in my, my own personal library. You can find them today. But they had to make a decision. Which of these are going to be our sacred writings? And eventually, lists of accepted books began to form. Probably at first, they were very uh, informally kept, these lists, and, and eventually formally kept. But um, the churches began to maybe even without thinking about it much, began to just accept some books. For example, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John topped everyone's list. These books were considered authentic. And one of the reasons why I believe that the early church saw those books and others like them as authentic is that they were written by the apostles or by someone who was closely shadowed by an apostle, someone who was, you know, just really working within the shadow of an apostle, such as Luke or Acts or Mark. These books were written by people who were so closely associated with an apostle that it would be impossible to think they were not penned at an apostle's you know, dictator, uh, or not dictatorship, but, you know, maybe he's dictating this letter or something like that or at least that they approved these writings. And so that's probably one of the foremost reasons why some of these books were held, you know, as being sacred. And other books like The Shepherd of Hermas or The Didache, even though they were well-loved, they couldn't be traced to an apostle. And so those books, in spite of being recommended, in spite of being loved, were kind of set aside. And they didn't appear on the list. They, didn't, they don't appear in our New Testament. But there were another kind of series or set of books that were written, and, and the early church knew about them. In the early second century, some writings began to, to circulate. Uh, we would call these pseudepigraphal, kind of a real $5 word, and it just means to be written by someone else. For example, we have the Gospel of Peter. 
the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of uh, Thomas, the Gospel of Judas. These books began to circulate in some Christian circles, and I suppose someone had to consider whether or not to make those books part of this list. And eventually, and I think without a whole lot of consideration, they were not made part And I think, why? Well, I think the obvious reason is these books were not written by the people that they claimed to be written by. For example, the Gospel of Peter was not written by Peter. He had died in around 68 AD, and he couldn't have written a book in the second century. The same with the Gospel of Thomas. The same as the the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. And certainly the Gospel of of Judas. Judas had hanged himself before the crucifixion even even took place and couldn't have written a second century book. And so I think the church decided very easily that they were not going to accept forgeries. They were not going to accept books written by liars. And so those books just weren't considered. You know, uh, um, a couple years ago, Dan Brown's book uh, came out, uh, The Da Vinci Code, and uh, I saw the movie. I didn't read the book, but I saw the movie, and part of its premise was that Christianity was sort of hijacked in its early years, or at least um, somebody made a decision, we're going to outlaw certain books of the Bible, and and, um, these are the ones we're going to follow, and those we're not going to, and as a result, Christianity took a certain turn in its early days. I mean, it's real conspiracy theory sounding, I guess, if you're into that kind of stuff, it sounds real good. But, um, and with any conspiracy theory, I suppose there's an element of truth in it. There were early books written in those days, but they weren't really censured because of what they said necessarily. It's just that they were not authentic books written by these people. And and the, the reality of it is the church said, you know what, I'm not going to die over a book written by a man who claimed to be Judas when he clearly wasn't. I'm not going to die for the book of a liar. And so it's really kind of common sense to see why the church made its early, or why the early church made its decisions like they did. Uh, now, I've read some of these, and it's also easy to see on another, uh, on another level, why these books weren't circulated and, and read as widely as, as what we call the New Testament. I mean, the content of it is just sometimes weird. Um, for example, in, in the Gospel of Thomas, um, I think it's Peter who asked uh, Jesus at one point something about, can, can women be brought into the kingdom of heaven? And his response is, well, and I'm paraphrasing, yes, uh, women can be brought into the kingdom of heaven as long as they become men first. Okay, that, that sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? All you women, if you really want to get into the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be a man first. Um, I mean, it just belonged to a... Well, actually, a lot of these writings belong to a, to an early church heresy uh, called Gnosticism. Uh, it, that's a whole other topic of in itself. But, but uh, they were Gnostic writings, and they just, they just didn't follow mainstream Christianity, but that wasn't the reason why they were excluded They were excluded because they were written by forgers, by people who claimed to be someone that they were not. You know, sometimes people are always looking for something new with Christianity. They're they're looking for something exciting and fresh, uh, an idea that's going to take them a, a different direction. 
And I see Christianity as just being something that's plain and simple and has never changed. It's the same gospel. Same gospel that faith in God through Jesus Christ leads us to life. That hasn't changed. In my opinion, there's no reason to look for anything new or anything fancy. And that brings us to the close of this episode. I want to thank you for joining me for another episode of The Christian, the Thinking Christian. Feel free to go to my website. Please subscribe to this uh, feed. And I hope to see you next time.